Hello, everyone. This is Mark with Speak Brave Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. Hey, Mark. It's good to see you, buddy. It's good, good to hear you. Good to be in the room with you. Who's this guy? Well, we have a special <laughs> guest today. His name is Matthew Wengard. That's good. Is that right? That's good, yeah. Because uh, please tell me if, if I'm mispronouncing. That's uh, perfect. Sure. So, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. To the Speak Brave. Here we're talking about the business of life, the business of business. Yes. And we try to do make the shows that are honest. Uh-huh. Honest and sometimes a little uncomfortable. But I believe that's where the truth lies. I love that. And sometimes we have to highlight the things we don't want to talk about. And in the process of doing that, we address things in our lives and hopefully help others who may need to hear this message. That's true. I I'm, I'm, might be a little scared now, but that's totally true. <laughs> well, don't worry about it. That's why we have the magic of editing. Uh, but don't be scared. But rather, just be you because that's what it really is about. It's about speaking brave. Perfect. So let's start off right in from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming. Matthew, tell us what's going on in your world just oh. now. I mean, just what are you working on? Who are you? <laughs> what, what, I put you on the spot right away. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, on the spot. Uh, that's perfect. So I have two questions. Yes. Well, I will tell you that literally today the thing that's happening is I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, rebuilding a new shop, uh, a new studio for my business. My company is called A Fine Press. Um, what is it again? A Fine Press. A Fine Press. Three okay. words. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually a play on uh, I've Made a Fine Mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't actually work, you know. No one, no one recognizes that, so I just leave it. But I like it. And uh, it's not an NBA term. No, it is not. Breaks. It is not an okay. NBA term okay. either. Okay. Um, uh, so I make luxury stationery. I, I make fairly avant-garde uh, printed materials, things that help people communicate. Whether it's it's business communications, whether it's invitations mm-hmm. or um, personal stationery, and all this. Uh, Kind of came about a really strange way. I'm actually all of my education is in music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bachelor's of ed, I think it is, in music education, and mm-hmm. a master of music and jazz studies of all things. Wow, that's awesome! Right? Like, okay. Like, they they give you a master's degree in jazz bass. You, you know, this is America. <laughs> yes, we, this we, is true. You know, we monetize everything, right? You know, this we, moni- is true. we monetize the problem, we monetize the solution, we monetize education. Yeah, and, and I learn that every day, so I love it. Okay, <laughs> that's right. amazing. So, uh, grad school. I was actually a friend of mine was over at the shop yesterday, who was in grad school with me, and we were talking about how grad school was really the kind of the the seed of all of this for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything I had done up to that point was music. Uh, my dad. Um, I, well, let me back up and say my grandfather was actually an Amishman, born and raised in central Ohio. Let me tell you what, the Amish are amazing, and I love the donuts. The donuts, uh, well, the, the food donuts, is incredible. the furniture, right? The furniture, the too, furniture, exactly. The food, yeah, exactly. Everything. So we make, a, to the donuts. We, make a, <laughs> <laughs> we make a trip down to Sarasota every once in a while to get uh, some, some food because it feels like home. We have. Uh, but my grandfather actually bought a car and hid it in a cornfield with his brothers and got shunned. And, and, and that car is the only reason I exist <laughs> because okay. he was able to marry outside of the okay, Amish community. Okay, 57 Chevy story. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it's absolutely spectacular. A car hidden in a cornfield is the reason I exist. You know what? I love that story. Isn't that amazing? I love that story. I love okay. It. I love it. the best story I've heard today. So, <laughs> that's the genesis. Okay. That's the genesis, yes. Uh, so in grad school... Um, there was there was this thing happening culturally while things were happening with me in, in school, and it's this thing, yeah, you know, we call it kind of the trappings of hipsterdom, and and that being a hipster has changed as a term in the oh, yeah. last five or ten years, mm-hmm. but maybe seven or eight years ago, the things that you were, would see is like like everybody with their fountain pens and their straight razors and the and the girls like spinning yarn on the subway, and uh-huh. you know all this kind of hand, the handcrafted movement started as 
this strange kind of ironic thing, I think. Mm -hmm. But what I believe is that it really stems from this place where my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, in the name of convenience, Mm -hmm. in the name of progress, got rid of all the rituals in their lives. Mm. So you don't go out back and wring a chicken's neck anymore. You buy boneless, skinless from the the from the meat department. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't uh, you don't hone your razor. You just pop the cartridge in the trash and replace it, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, you, the way we cooked our meals changed with the advent of microwaves in the house. And mm-hmm. so theoretically, these conveniences were designed to give us the space to do more good in the world. Like to have more authentic or meaningful, like it was meant to make our lives better. And really all it did was open it up for space to put more junk in it. Yes. Um, A lot of people do put more junk in it. If you allow it. Culturally. If you allow it. I think think the majority of people do. Right. And and along with that, we also lost what I call, I used to call them the totems. A friend of mine said, they'll call them artifacts. That that rings a little better. And I think it's true. We lost the artifacts. So to go back to my grandfather, my grandfather was, you know, a depression, a kid of the depression era. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and someone who was born to keep everything until its last possible usage. Yeah. And when he passed a decade ago, all that was left was two little cigar boxes of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because like Bakelite and the modern age got a hold of it, right? And everything became disposable. And um, as a millennial, I resent that about culture—not my grandfather, but culture in general. Mm-hmm. Like, where is my like man? He had such cool tools when he was a kid. Where are they? Like, yeah. somehow they, yeah, they, yeah. they discard legacy. Exactly, exactly. And so what I discovered was what I believe is is a lot of these trappings of kind of millennial and hipster culture are really more a desire to connect to an ancestral past, to this thing that we haven't experienced, but we know kind of in our DNA. These rituals, these chances to slow down. You know, our, I think our, our bodies and minds are designed to be slow and not slow, but to, to experience the world exactly. more fully. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Savor. Take yes. it in. Experience yes. it more yes. deeply. Yes. I, believe, yes. Yes. I believe rituals are designed to allow us to, to reflect on the day, to mm-hmm. reflect on our lives, our families, uh, on, our, on our spiritual journeys, all those things. Mm-hmm. And so all of this came to a head in grad school. I'm, I'm going through this experience, discovering all this. And I took a class on jazz composing, jazz arranging. Um, Mm -hmm. And the very first assignment we did, we had to write out by hand. And in passing, the professor, who was also my boss at the time, mentioned that most of the manuscripts that I had seen written, uh, the reason music looks the way it does is because there's a specific fountain pen nib called the music nib. Mm -hmm. And it's this little three-tined nib, and the the tip of the nib is shaped a certain way, and it gives shape to notes, to notation and music. And this just boggled my mind. The idea that it was something physical that created this printed, that that then turned into something oral, Mm -hmm. like that that there was consequences to the physicality of it. Mm -hmm. So somehow, and frankly, I'm still a little blurry on how it all happened, that all kind of culminated in this idea of me thinking, well, the the one ritual we still have is weddings. And uh, my ability to create in there can be through the stationary side of it. I also discovered that what drew me to music was the act of creation, perhaps more strongly than it was music itself. Right. So this kind of filled that itch too. Wow. It's pretty powerful. It's you know, an interesting thing you should say yeah. that too, because having music in my background and having grew up in music, and also I took enough music theory to be dangerous. <laughs> I, uh, the thing that he's talking about, that's, he mentioned creativity. What he's taken is he's moved it from just the process of the music within itself, in other words, the printed manuscript and mm-hmm. the various parts, the clefts, the whole nine yards. And what he's talking about now is about the creative process is to 
how does it paint the picture? And if anybody understands music and knows the classics, classics are less about the sound of the music and more about what the story is being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for example, yeah. pictures at an exhibition, or the every, if everybody knows the story behind the 1812 overture, and they have read War and Peace, okay, put the two and two together. It's a connected dot experience. Right. Perhaps maybe the most amazing example of that for me was Finlandia. Yes. When Sibelius wrote that. Same basic premise as 1812 Overture, but what is the core song that comes from Finlandia? It is the song that we uh, refer to as Be Still My Soul. Yes. The Lord is on your side. Because that is the hymn that anchors the struggle where it begins with dark, goes to the prayer where people are on the knees, the nation prays, and then the victory starts and you have the bells and the booms and everything. So this is something that translates in the mind as well as in the ears and the heart. This is a sensory experience. So you're yeah. talking sensory, Absolutely. and now he's in my wheelhouse. <laughs> well, you know, I have, you know, sometimes you think the day will go one way, or you learn, <laughs> or you think you're going to go one direction. Oh, but yeah. then Yesterday, for example, I had no idea what would happen, but guess what? Yeah. It was an experience that had to be lived. And I'm just grateful that I have the chance to interview you, Matthew, and John, every time you come to come together, there's some things that well, that's are... That's what you pay me to do. <laughs> Uncover that I haven't even... Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't even think about. But I have a lot of thoughts about what you have said. Yeah. Um, you said about the millennial generation, right? Yes. And you talked, in, you talked about your uh, background. Mm-hmm. Uh, By the way, millennials yeah. are the largest group in population in this country today. There are 82, I mean, right. 90 million millennials. The okay. terrifying thing to me is they have all graduated college at this point. Well, <laughs> no, no. If, if they took the four or five year track, yeah. they've all right. graduated college. But already. it may not be such a bad thing, right? I mean, it's, um, I have a lot to say about yeah. it. But it, to it's, me, you college know, is a launch. Yeah. Huh? To me, college is the launch point of the life. It, it could be. And it's shifting away from that very quickly. Oh, it could yeah. be. Okay. Very um, quickly. So in your choice uh, to do this work that you do now, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of factors have contributed to it, right? You know, yeah. Your ancestry, your search to create something of meaning, yeah. true meaning, right? Uh, but also what I recognize and I can echo, uh, you have mentioned before this interview about Seth Godin. Yes. I'm a fan yes. of uh, almost fan every, every book, right? And not yeah. just once, but several times. Multiple times. Yeah. I subscribed to his newsletter first yeah. thing in the morning, right? Every they, day. He talked about tantrums today. You know, like, I haven't read it yet. It's, it's, it's in there. Okay. It's in there. But a lot of times he talks about don't go, don't have a race to the bottom. Yes. But build up the value chain. Yes. And I think it's a choice, isn't it? It uh, is. Whatever profession you decide to be, a speaker, a coach, a uh, creator, a maker, yes. you know, manufacturer create an ascension yeah. pyramid right yeah. create a value chain up and i think not only does it apply in business i think it applies in life absolutely every time you choose to go down race to the bottom i think you rob yourself and you rob the people in your immediate circle mm-hmm. and and their immediate circles of what you can really do right and i think it takes courage right to build the ascension the value chain up isn't it it's um it definitely takes courage if you believe everything that the illusion that we've kind of been taught about what life is. The well, what, that it, what is the illusion? Tell me. Uh, that that easy is better. 
I mean, I, I, I don't know how you grew up, and it wasn't no, necessarily that my, right. that my parents. Right. It's just it's a cultural thing that easy is better, and that you know we've seen we've seen the ubiquity of companies like Walmart, or, mm-hmm. or we've seen the growth of these companies in my lifetime, and it looks like well, that's what success looks like is growth in this way, in, in, which is exactly the definition of a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that if you if you are thoughtful about it for any real period of time. It doesn't become quite as scary or as as strange a concept. It becomes the obvious concept. You have to move towards the top. You have to differentiate. And I think it's a once you stop, I think you either stay stale, yeah. stagnant, or you go down. Absolutely. And and clearly, um, I don't want to live like my life like that. And you no. don't want to do that as well. Right. But I want to go back to that point about college. Yes. Millennials. Yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, since we're you know Absolutely. here, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been out of college for a few years, and John. No, you know, I don't know what been, talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I've been out of college, but so what is your take uh, on millennials in college? And you know, we can. This is a speak break. Okay. Yeah. We, we can have meaningful discussion. I love it. Okay. We, we have it. meaningful discussion about this. So. so what is your take? Today in 2018, whatever year right. this is, I'm 36 years old. So I graduated college in 2004. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm an old millennial is what they call us. I'm in that weird spot where like I remember life before computers, but I don't remember a classroom without one. My kindergarten classroom like I was right. in kindergarten the year we first had a computer. So so many things have shifted so quickly. And essentially, you know, Seth talks a lot about the idea of education was designed to make perfect factory workers mm-hmm. all the way from K through 12 into college. And I believe that college was designed to create factory workers even now. And, and even now. Even now, what? even despite all the high-mindedness of, of higher education. I see that. Do you, do you think because, uh, this, is, uh, this is my take on it, is that because it's an institution? An institution doesn't move very fast? It is. You have to pay the mortgage? It uh, is the both of them. Have to pay the I was just going to say the second what? half of the first boom, is boom. because it's an institution. Yeah, the right. second is because twice. we're trying to protect as hard as we can our own egg, mm-hmm. and and as as colleges, you know, it's that idea of being a gatekeeper. College, you know, college was considered kind of like that gate, and and being the an administration of a college or a university was being a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly if you were one with um, with a reputation. They become kingmakers essentially, and and king kingmakers. You know, if you graduate from Harvard with X degree, you are guaranteed to make X in your life as long as you apply that degree. Mm-hmm. I don't think that really exists anymore. My so my sister, I, I, I mentioned my age specifically to say my sister is nine years younger than me, and she right now is primarily a, a wedding and portrait photographer. Mm-hmm. She went to college for digital media. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of discussions about the validity of college for her. I believe that college from a social standpoint is highly valuable for most people. Mm-hmm. My socialization through college was an, an excellent shift for me from childhood to adulthood. Same with me, even right. looking back those many, many so, years ago. When I was so there. do you think, uh, I mean, it's a solution, right? I don't it's know a, what the solution is. Well, well, it's a solution for some people. Uh, it is a solution for some people. What if we take away college, then what? If we take away college for... Uh, even if well, we take right? away college, we'll still have institutions of learning. But it would become much more of a cultural thing. So, so if if your profession requires a piece of paper, mm-hmm. college is what it is. If you right. want to be a lawyer or a doctor right. or whatever it is, right. okay, it is. Yeah. college. Right. Um, if you want to be a programmer, who who in your career will ever demand to see a piece of paper? 
They probably won't. They won't. A, they probably won't. Nobody cares. They, they will see your, your skills skill. are yes, far skills. more important. Yes, yes, now, yes. soft skills, which are often learned through the socialization of college, I think are very important. But um, but those can be learned elsewhere too. Those don't have to be learned through the institution of college. And so for me, you know, the idea. So I part of what I do in my business, and it confuses people. I, I say I'm not a printer, but I have three printing presses in my shop. I produce most of my work. And I did that because I couldn't, when I started, I couldn't afford the outsourcing and still make enough money because I was undercharging ultimately. Right. And I just couldn't do it. So I, I also, I wanted to be a bit of a car guy and I'm not a car guy. So being elbows deep in a greasy printing press is my version of that. Um, everything I know about printing, I learned from YouTube and two friends that I call whenever I have a question. And I would say that I am... 25% of the way to where the real great master printers were. I'm nowhere near there, but that takes a lifetime. They didn't learn. They, they ended trade school about where I am. And I'm, I've done this as a, a living. And, and I, that may not sound like a, a good thing, but to me it is because I've, I've learned on the job. I've made mistakes on the job, but I've learned things in a way that's truly practical. We talked about hands-on earlier yeah. and the mm -hmm. idea of tactile learning. And so to me, most tracks of, of what you can do in life can be better learned elsewhere. So, I mean, this, I think you have an, a, not just an interesting story, I think you have an exceptionally compelling story. I also think uh, it's extraordinarily relevant. I relevant, appreciate that. Relevant. Wow. Uh, Thank what, you. It, it, it comes through. It comes through the way you talk about your work, yeah. the way you describe it, and also take a step back, because right? yeah. that's how I feel. Can I weave something in here to yes, this too? Yes, yes, absolutely. We've got generations here that we're talking we have, to. And yes. this intergenerational and This is what we do. <laughs> this, this is the fun part for me, and I'll tell you why. Because hearing what uh, Matthew is saying, knowing what you have shared with me and your perspective on things, and then my willingness to engage people in many, many different age groups, this is just more of well-rounding my understanding of the things that make us alike, but also the things that make us very different, but they all have value. Um, I was raised in the generation as a baby boomer, which is the post-war, right. starting with 1948. I was born in 50, so I'm in the early part of post-war. We're the people that are moved, most of us now, into the retirement window. However, that being said, if you look at the current society today, you know that people in my age group, many of them are not retired. They can't. If they are retired, it's because they physically can't do anything due to the fact that life has wore them out. Illnesses have gotten them all these other problems. Right. Many of us, like you said, it's the truth. I'll be 68 on June the 9th. I'm still working. I'm working because I left a job that was, I was raised to believe you get an education, you get a job, you work for the company, you retire, you're set, you draw your Social Security. It was very, very narrow-minded and right. it was very much compartmentalized. Yes. Now, Coming out of that, I suddenly began to realize as you take stock of what you've done, you've been in the private sector working for over 40 years. You are now in that early 60s area where Social Security is beckoning you. Hopefully, you've got a 401k or some kind of a pension. But now you're going out into this, what am I going to do when I retire, if I can retire? Yeah. And even if I can retire... Am I going to just languish? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, yeah. no, because Hopefully you not. see, but this is where I begin to awaken to the reality that I lived under a false bill of goods. Now, yeah. I'm not being unkind saying that. What I'm saying is that I never got to realize what my truly great potential things were. Right. The things that I was gifted to do, 
that I did not get to use to their full extent when I was working a nine to five job where I was in simply, as you said, for want of a better term, a factory situation. Yeah, yeah. it was a desk, right. but I was just part of the bottom of that pyramid. Right. And up there at the top was the CEO. And mind, mind you, the CEO paid his dues. Certainly. I, I knew the CEO. Right. And I respected the CEO. And actually, the CEO is a friend. Right. But that's neither here. He's not going to pay me what right. he's being paid. No. <laughs> so here I was retired and saying, I have a whole different look on life now because what am I going to give back and what am I going to learn and that's when I developed my resolve yeah position. and I also think John no no experience is ever wasted no no experience not. is ever wasted no adventure well, you already know from you know yeah. I never noticed that no experience is wasted even if we don't apply it because it's here right but furthermore uh, we don't live in a vacuum right oh, we yeah. live in the communities that we belong to mm -hmm. we associate with one thing that I want to make sure that listeners know, and Matthew and we affirm and reaffirm, is that you have traveled your path mm -hmm. in life. And you're still traveling. So as you and I am, and hopefully we will for the future. The experiences that you bring, your personality, your knowledge, your mm -hmm. wisdom, your patience, and your care for the people in your sphere, like in Toastmasters, in your church, in your mentoring, somebody who's looking up to you, for the very first time they meet you, maybe second time or third time, and you say a word to them, or you listen to them, or you take an experience and share your wisdom, if it touches them, they will remember this for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And they will look back at this and say, hey, you know, on their porch, you know, with their spouse, <laughs> hey, hey, I met this guy, John, and he told me this story. I don't remember everything he told me, but he told me this one piece of advice. And that carries in their heart for the rest of their lives. And it's not being melodramatic. It's true. This is how I really feel. Yeah. Isn't that true? I completely agree. And that's the experience that you have. So I want you to know, John, how valuable your experience of working with me have been for me. And, and also, reciprocal for me as well. And also, there's so much more to do. Because if, oh, yeah. if, we, so much more. if we create boundaries and say, oh, I didn't achieve this or that, I think it's it's one way to look at life. And yeah. I think it's very diff it's very easy to... Put yourself in the ditch, right? And who wants to be in the ditch? Right. Uh, sometimes we put ourselves in the ditch, well, right? And if like, it rains, guess what? You're going to be treading water, right? <laughs> so, you know, what I want you to know, John, is that we have the value, and sometimes it takes an outside perspective to somebody mm -hmm. who cares, and we have to ask somebody who cares. We have and, to be willing tell to ask and accept. Yeah. Now, some people would be glad to volunteer. Right. That's where you have to have enough of a knowledge as far as your learning curve is concerned and your willingness to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. Right. And you'll be able to say, okay, well, let me assess, evaluate, and analyze that and then filter it through what my value system is. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if we don't allow ourselves the feedback, if we don't allow ourselves the exposure, if we don't allow ourselves the chance to experience from someone else's perspective, we miss an opportunity to grow ourselves and to be more effective with the people we come in contact with, which is one of the reasons why Speak Brave, from the perspective of what I've learned working with you, has been so valuable to me at this stage of my life. In other words, this is not about a generational presentation. This is about generations coming together, talking about ideas, feelings, emotions, legacies, future hopes, dreams, creating, all the things that make us what we are. Uh, we are not a hunter-gatherer people, 
and yet we still hunt and gather. But what we're hunting and gather for now is for those things that are going to make our life richer and make other lives richer. I think it's a requirement of life now. I believe um, yes, it's a requirement for survival and thriving. Everything else is taken care of otherwise. Yeah. Uh, have you seen what's happening with algorithms recently? Oh yeah, how insane what, what, this is. What, what do you mean? Like well, specifically. I, 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 I've read a lot about algorithms, but but even this morning on the way here, I heard a radio headline that was essentially algorithms are the new tastemakers. Mm -hmm. So in my sphere, I use the Adobe Creative Cloud to do most of my design work. Mm -hmm. Yes, Uh, yes. they have shifted to the subscription model, and I was talking with a friend about one of the main reasons they did that is because they get more usage data. Not just like crash reports, but but actually how we're using the software and what they're moving towards is. now their video editing software has a tool where I can say this is my soundtrack, these are my speaking tracks, mm-hmm. click, and it will duck all the audio in the soundtracks right. on like its own. Like a magista. On its own. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the same it thing saves are, you time. Exactly. Saves you time. The same things are happening with personal shopping where it's all by algorithm and not by mm-hmm. person anymore. And the, what, what they were saying essentially is the algorithms will know what sells to us better than we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it comes down, was it the Devil Wears Prada where there's that scene about the blue sweater, mm-hmm. about, you know, you you think you just picked a blue sweater, but what you don't know is that we, uh, yeah. we high fashion picked that for you. Algorithms will be doing that. Yeah. yeah. And so that frees us up, I believe. Amazon does so, that already, too. They do. Um, that's very, very <laughs> rich and interesting. <laughs> but I want to, um, this is one thing that's part of our life. Okay. But you are... The guest of the show. Yeah. So I want to ask you just a couple of questions before we start uh, wrapping up. Yeah. As a business owner, uh-huh. and now you have seen the this uh, invasion, not invasion, but this uh, fact of life. Yeah. Algorithms, capitalism, you know, all this stuff, <laughs> you know, um, and then, you know, other things, right, that are right. always in, in that. Right. So as a human, as a man, as a person, okay, what 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 is your... Heart and soul is telling you right now. Okay, yeah. what do you need to focus on to make sure that you don't slack off? Right, you right. can't. You right. can't slack off. What are you going to invest in yourself? How? What? I mean, you're going to look for more people, more alliances, um, more experiences. What is the structure? What are the routines that you're implementing? That's fascinating. That's one because you ha- because you know this is machines, this yes. algorithm. So I want to. I want you to take take you know have your take on that yeah because this interview this podcast it's about challenges here uh, we as business owners we always say okay what is your challenge right and they would say oh i have this challenge uh-huh. i have this customer but i yeah. know this let's take another step yeah what inspires you what are you gonna look forward to so why don't we come into the ending with that type of uh, Absolutely. feedback from you absolutely man brevity is not my strong suit so uh, let right, me lady. let me try to craft this for you um the first thing is, I joined Toastmasters because I believe that crafting the idea, crafting my skills in communication are a huge part of whatever the next steps are for me. Um, I'm a part of this group. There's a, a blog that I strongly suggest anyone who's in creative work read called The Business of Being Creative. Mm-hmm. My friend Sean writes this blog, and he has a membership group that I'm a part of, and we have weekly calls where we discuss what's going on primarily in the wedding industry, but also uh, he does a lot in um, interior design. And we have been talking a lot, uh, this actually this last call was about the idea that your craft is no longer enough. Your point of view and, and presenting yourself as an expert is of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, there are some, some speaking things that I have my eye on in the future. I don't know how, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd go this year and do it. Like I, I wanna go do it, I, I'm not scared of it. Like, 
I won't be the best, but mm-hmm. so what? Uh, I'm ready whenever whenever it's available, but I want to be even better then. So Toastmasters is a huge part of it. The other huge thing for me is I'm not currently attracting enough of my ideal client. Um, I, I think one of my greatest challenges is I believe most people I know that are in business sell to some version of themselves. They're economically in a similar place. Uh, demographically, they're similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to sell to someone who is at a far different demographic than I am. Uh, socioeconomically, in terms of the way they're engaged with their business, the level they're at. I'm, I'm dealing with you know C-suite people mm-hmm. at, at you know Fortune 100 companies, and I'm I'm just not that person. So. Uh, learning to attract them is what I'm working on, which is being a part of this group. And also I'm creating, I believe if you build it, they will come. So I'm just putting some spec pieces in my portfolio that attract that crowd that showcase that level of work. Uh, I'm doing a piece right now. It's an eight by 10 panel of metal painted electric blue uh, with an auto finish with a bright sparkle in it. And we've got a quote on it that comes from, I forget his name, but he was a designer at BMW and it is cars are the sculptures of our everyday lives. And we're screen printing that in white, and the word sculptures is going to look like like a chromed out stingray on the side of a car. Um, and that's going to be an invitation. The back of it's going to be laser engraved leather. And it's right. at a price point unlike anything I've ever done before. Mm-hmm. But the goal is, I want some guy when his 60th birthday is coming along and he's throwing a quarter million dollar party. Mm-hmm. These are the invitations he needs. Absolutely. So. I love the way you describe your craft. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate and deeply uh, in tune to the strategy and the way we build our business, yeah. the way that we uh, ask the questions. Who is my ideal client? Yeah. Can I see the world through the eyes of my ideal client? Not yeah. through my own eyes, right. but step into the shoes and ask the questions and have the discipline to put in an ether into the collective intelligence, yes. collective unconscious. Who is my ideal client? Look at my customer map from the previous client and create mind maps, create systems with my business partners, by myself, and dig deep into that work. Well said. Yes. Well because, said. Absolutely. Well, this is what we do, right? Right. <laughs> but I, I want to make sure. Thank. I want to make sure that we cover this, and yeah. there's not enough time to talk about everything. Sure. So, Matthew, what is the best way for listeners and for your fans and for people who would like to work with you and your new fans? Right. I love that I have fans. That's exciting. To contact you and to work with you. Absolutely. Well, what I do is visually compelling. The machines I work with are are beautiful to watch. So Instagram, at A Fine Press. Okay. All one word is a great spot. YouTube, search A Fine Press. I've got a channel that I've I've rebooted in the last few months. I've got 30-odd videos there uh, showing these beautiful antique presses in operation and, and more of this philosophy stuff. Um, and then that all leads back to my website, afinepress.com. Afinepress. Well, it was a pleasure. It was a true pleasure. Indeed, it was. To, thank, thank you, you so much. To have this conversation uh, with you and get to know you a little bit. So it's just another way for you to show to the world who you really are. Thank you. And thank you have, for the opportunity. And you have a lot to do, and we do as well. <laughs> thank you, John. Uh, thank you, Matthew. And thank you, everyone who's listening. Don't, don't forget to subscribe to my, to my podcast leave comments leave ratings i love everyone right now we have a five-star rating on the on itunes which, which is amazing nice. amazing and we need more reviews more shares more likes more hearts reach out i always happy to hear from you and because it is a community this is my true goal to build a community of like-minded people that i can be part of and we all can be part of i'll see you next time and don't forget to speak brave